as I was preparing this week, as we're transitioning out of uh, the armor, we spent a lot of time talking about warfare, right? Yeah, talking about fighting for what God's promised us and putting on all of our armor and talking about the sword. And even before that, we talked about what spiritual warfare looks like and what a stronghold is. And, you know, as we, as we continue to move into worship now, I want to transition in from what we've been talking about into worship because worship is no, not like a completely different subject. In fact, moving out of, when we read in Ephesians 6, 16, and we talked about the sword, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, there's a period, and then the next word is pray. Pray in the Spirit. And so it goes right into the fact of using this armor and getting ready to spiritually fight, and then going right into a spiritual battle And part of that is during worship. Do you guys know that worship, there is a battle going on? Because worship isn't just singing songs, guys. It's not about getting three songs and you're done, or five or ten or whatever the number is. It's not about coming and having the first part of service being a section of singing songs. That's the very minimal. That's not what it's about. Are you with me? Because there's so much more that happens in worship. And I want to just talk a few quick things before we get into it. But during worship, what we want to see at the Rivers Church is a place where it's like a hospital. This should be a time, worship should be a time where you don't just stand there and do nothing. It's a discipline, guys. It's a time for you to, you just don't get to be in the presence of God because you show up at church. Amen? The Bible says that the pathway is narrow that leads to God. And wide and easy is the pathway to darkness, to to the way the world lives. And it's the same when you want to enter into the presence of God. If it was that easy, well, our whole world would be different. But there is a discipline to it. There is a, a, a yearning inside you that you need to exercise and desire and pursue passionately, aggressively into the presence of God. You can't just show up and expect to open your mouth and sing a song and for the presence of God to manifest itself in power here. Are you with me? Because we can come to church. Yes, God's here, but I don't know about you, but I want more. We pray that I want the dial up. I want the dial, I want the Spirit of God manifesting majorly in this place. Where when we walk in, you feel the glory. Where people walk in and, and have full, their lives are full of sin and they're full of pain, and they walk in here. And they feel that powerful conviction. Not condemnation, not judgment, but a way out of their hopeless life into a hope-filled life. That only comes by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is only going to come as we collectively together make that happen. God said we can make that happen. By surrendering, by sacrificing, right? Bring the sacrifice of praise. Bring it to the Lord. Guys, we have to make the sacrifice. We together create the culture that this church is going to be. It's up to you. We can't do it alone. I can't do this. I will not create the culture, but I'm going to stand here until God tells me not to, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to teach, and I'm going to encourage you guys to press into God, to get more of God, to get rid of the flesh and more of the Spirit during our worship time so that... God can change people, guys. 
I want testimonies every week that are coming in and we're bringing friends and they're, they're sensing the Spirit of God. But I'm telling you, we have to pay the price. We have to pay the price. We have to get before the Lord, guys. You should be coming to church with something to give. You should be coming to church prepared to worship. If you're showing up and, why, oh, oh, it's time to sing, uh, five, four, three, two, one. I guess I got to worship now. You're too late. Now I'm talking to believers here, so I'm, a little, I'm being a little tough. This isn't for people that don't know Jesus and don't have a relationship with him. This is for people that know Christ, have a relationship with him, and talk with him every day. You need to get in with him during the week and come ready to give. Bring a sacrifice. Okay, got a little sidetracked there. I, I wanted today, because we're, we're transitioning into a new topic, but I wanted to spend some of this time kind of dreaming vision with you guys. I wanted to talk about things that I want to see, that I believe God wants to see in us in this church. Um, and that's part of it. Because, guys, I'm telling you, preaching and teaching, yes, that's a, a, a form of worshiping God through the Word and preaching the Word, just like our giving is a form of worship. And just like there's worship in our life where we are kind to our neighbor and we do things in life, we can worship God in our lifestyle outside the building. But I want to talk about over the next few weeks of what we can do in our corporate gatherings as we come together and worship, what that should look like, what should be happening in those. Because there should be a lot of things happening. I mean, think about it. You just said that you got recharged, right? Was that one of the things? So that's one thing. What, what else happens during worship time. What should be happening? What? Praying, prayer for each other, ministry to each other. What else? Revelation. Thank you. Getting filled up, getting recharged. Breaking chains. So deliverance and freedom for those who are coming in bondage. Yes. Healing should be happening, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom and worship and power where the spirit of the Lord is. There should be miracles happening, right? What else? Someone say repentance, right? <laughs> I really thought someone did, but we, we got to make sure that there's a place where we're coming, even us, even us perfect little Christians, where we're coming every week repenting. Repentance should be a practice, not a one-time event. We should be repenting when we, this, the form of, that's a form of worship. Oh my God, look at me. Help me. How about the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating? When do we think those? So the gift, one of the gifts happening right now, I'm preaching the Holy Spirit's enabling me to speak to you and deliver a message. When we give, that's a, that's a gift of the Spirit. When we love each other and hug each other and pray for someone, that's a gift. But God wants that and even more. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation. That's all giftings that's, that's to edify and build up the body. So those gifts are supposed to be happening but if we, the people, the congregation, if we don't come prepared and ready, then we will lack that in our services. So we have to be prepared. We have to get into the Word. We have to press in and go, God, I'm going to keep, I'm going to quit coming to church and give me, give me, give me. And I'm going to come to church and go, I'm ready to give. I got so much to give. I hope someone walks in new today because I'm going to love on them and preach the Word and share a word of wisdom and give them, are you with me? That's what church should be like. And, and it's up to you and me if that happens or not. God's not going to force you to do all that stuff just because you show up to a building. It's going to be a natural byproduct 
of your sweet, intimate time with him. And if you don't have that, there's going to be no product. If you don't plant seed, you don't get the fruit. You've got to plant seed. Plant more seed this week than you ever have. Every week, get in the word. Press in in prayer. Pray for the people that you know and the people you don't know. Come expecting, guys. I, I want, I'm challenging myself, guys, and I don't want this to be condemning at all to you, but I'm preaching to myself. I want to come each week more expectant, more expe- expecting more. I'm telling you, that alone is an amazing cultural feeling and it can be in the body. The more people that are coming with an expectant, faith-filled heart for God to move and do miracles and set people free, I'm telling you, the more people that expect that, the more it'll happen because you have to have faith. You can't please God without faith, right? So that needs to be in all of us, all of us coming and expecting and not just coming and listening I want us to go to a new level, church. I want us all to be part of something. We're going to look back. If you'll go on this adventure with me, guys, we're going to look back in three, six, nine, 12 months, and we're going to see the culture shift in this place. We're going to see people coming and getting saved. We're going to see people getting filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, guys, after we do worship, the, the, the Lord's instructed me to go into the, talk about the Holy Spirit, baptism, and the gifts of the Spirit. That'll kind of correlate with worship. But I'm telling you, I didn't know that the Holy Spirit, you could get back as the Holy Spirit until I was 16 years old. And I, at 16, I was mad. I remember being upset that my church never taught me that. Like, why did we never talk about this? It changed my life. And I was already saved in the third grade. Altar call at a Christian school I was going to. I was saved, but I was not endued with power from the Holy Spirit yet. And when I did that, my life was transformed. I began to see the word differently. I began to hear God's voice more clearly. I began to operate in more power of of God in my life. And so we need that here, guys. We cannot be a church void of the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. And I don't want to get into a church where we work, we, we schedule and we work the Holy Spirit right out of our church. Because we get into programs and too much, we get too much into us and what we can do you know, commercially and what we're supposed to be doing in the culture today. No, this is the culture. You read through Acts. That's what God, that's the first beginning. That's what the baby church should look like. We should look like that and even more. Read through Acts. If you're reading through our Bible plan for the year, you're in Acts right now. You read through Acts. Do that this week. And think, this should be the baby model. This, all this should all be happening already, and we should be even moving on to greater things are yet to come. Are you with me, church? This all comes in and through cultivating a corporate, intimate worship time. 20, 30, 40. The time is irrelevant. The point is, is that each person making that sacrifice to get in and press in with all they have and fully surrendering to God. When we do that, church, that's what makes the difference. We've got great worship leaders to lead us, but it takes more than that. You could have the the greatest ever professional album-making Jesus Culture Elevation worship team up there, but that doesn't get you into the presence of God. Are you with me? It's you and me and our hearts determining to go, to boldly go into the throne. 
and make a difference and to press in past all the stuff. And we're going to talk about that today. But I wrote a few things down. You guys hit them pretty much unity. There's something about why I want to talk about worship corporately together because there's many forms of praise in worship. When, when, you see, when you hear worship, you know, you think of, what do you think of, singing, right? You know, the praise and worship has kind of been our cliche word or target for the, the, the part before the sermon, Let's do praise and worship, you know, and really there, there's a lot of ways we can praise God and, and there's a lot of ways in which we worship, but we're going to focus on coming together. Why? Because Jesus said in the end of the gospel of John that when the people, the Christians come together and show unity, then the Bible says the world will know. The world will see that and they'll go, oh my goodness, how is this group working together? coming together, and how are the gifts moving, and how are people getting set free? How is this all working? And they'll see that unity. Because of the unity, they'll be drawn to that. And that's part of that drawing power of Christ. That's lifting up Christ. It's not just lifting up the name, which we do and should and will, but it's lifting up the principles that God teaches through his son, Jesus, which is bringing all people into unity. Amen? So when we get more unified and we're worshiping together all in one accord, great things happen. Oh, yeah, Acts chapter 1 and 2. They were all meeting together and in one accord. Not a Honda, an accord together. That, that's, you ever stuffed a bunch of people in the car? As a youth pastor, that's a youth pastor. I mean, getting all the kids we can in the car, you know, 16 people in a Volkswagen. I don't know how you do that, but... But they were all together in one accord of one mind, one heart. Then what happens? Oh, the building shakes, fire falls. They're speaking in tongues, glorifying God, and 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because they were together. One heart, one mind, focused. There's power, church, in unity. Power and unity. And we talked about the hospital, we talked about refuels our spirit, we talked about the gifts moving. So there's a lot that can be happening in this. I want to open up our minds to the reality that the worship time has to be more than what we currently think it is. I want to challenge you to change that mindset, to get set to come. So, and, I, and I'm not pointing anyone out, but one of my, one of my it's not, it doesn't really bother me, it kind of saddens me, but I just don't understand it, is when people don't get here for worship. I just, I, that blows me away. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying for me, like, that's one of my favorite times. Like, I look for, that's like, if, if you go to a concert or a show or something, you go get there early because you're anticipating, you're ready, you want to be there. I want to encourage you to transform your thinking to not just a preliminary thing to the service, which is the preaching, because the preaching is not the main focus, guys. This is just a part, an element to get us to be closer to him and to be more effective and efficient in our ministry. That's what preaching and teaching does. And of course, hopefully people get saved too, and we've seen that already. But the point is, church, is that we need to be together, we need to focus on him, and we need to change our mindset of how we think about church, how we think about this corporate meeting and this, this coming together as believers. So... I was having a really unique time, a very uh, intense spiritual battle this week in my heart and mind, and, and, I, and I, I really felt there was just a lot of challenges and, and thinking straight, and I was having to fight and wear my armor and throw my sword around because I was just fighting off things. It was, wasn't uh, 
enabling me to be clear in thinking. And, and, I, and I just said out of frustration, Lord, what's going on? Why is this so hard? And bam, he clearly said, and I, I immediately wrote it down as he said it, because, you know, when the Lord starts speaking, you better listen. And you better get a pencil and you better write it down. And so I did, and, and he said to share this with you guys, because um, this is where we're at in the Rivers Church. This is, we're, we're on a, a precipice of a new a shift in who we are. We're, we're on the precipice of a new, designing a new culture that is going to be 100%. That's, our goal is to get 100% sold out to God. So there's nothing left. It's all him. And so to do, in order to do that, we have to get a hold of this concept of worship and bring correction to our thinking about what it, it is. So here's what the Lord said. He said, son, if the people of the rivers get a hold of what I am going to say through you over the next few weeks, it will transform their personal life and take the church to a whole new level. He says, this is a huge threat to the enemy. So I want you to, that was a, a, a kind of a lull. It was like Selah in the Psalms. Stop and think about that. It was almost like the Spirit said, get this, Doug. This concept, if the church gets this, this is a huge, massive threat to the enemy. The enemy will not go through this with his hands back and just give up. It was like, get ready, because if you really want to go here, because you just don't get there, you have to fight to get there. So he said, this is a huge threat to the enemy. And God said, if my people at the rivers will wholeheartedly abandon themselves to me and worship me with all that is within them, holding nothing back, you will see my power like you have never seen it. If they respond to me and give me all, I will give them all of me. That was exciting to me. And it reminded me, it reminded me in James where it says, draw near to him, resist, remember, resist the devil, right? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to us. So God's promise to us is that if we will respond to this, he will give all of himself. I can't even, I almost faint when I think of all of him. And then he, say, he ended it by saying, Doug, this, my words are a guarantee, the essence, faith is the essence. God's word is our, is our essence, is our, is our proof. So God said, this is a guarantee. If you do this, he will. And that's, I mean, all that is just scripture anyway. Um, but he spoke it live in my heart. For us, you can receive that or you can reject it. It's up to you. I've received it. I'm encouraging you to challenge you to receive and, and meditate on that this week and open up your hearts to what God may transition you in and out of and through over the next few weeks. Amen? Amen. Okay. So with that said, thank you, Holy Ghost. Um, help us learn about your presence. Because worship, guys, really is the heart of God. In fact, worship really is about being with him. We've looked at putting on our armor, and we've looked before that, we looked at possessing our land, and we look back into the Old Testament, and we're going to go back to the story of Joshua because it's such a powerful illustration. Remember, guys, the Old Testament is our picture book, okay? It's our picture book of 
principles and truths in the New Testament. So we can look in the Old Testament, and by their examples that they give us, we can learn from and put them into context for us today. So as we move out of that, we, I want to move into Joshua chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your notes. But I want to talk about the context on how we fight. So we've learned how to fight spiritually a little bit. We've got the foundation. We've talked about battling warfare in our armor. But I want to talk to you right now about the context in which these battles should take place, about praise and worship, about what happens in the context. That not the, You can personally worship in your car and at home and all that, and that's great, and keep doing it. But there is something special about that unity coming together, and that's what we're going to focus on. So God shows us in Joshua, in the first battle that the children of Israel fought in their promised land, that it would be through the avenue of worship and praise that battles would be won and enemies would be defeated. So you remember the story. We're going to talk about Jericho. You know, we've all heard that probably in Sunday school, and if you haven't, you're going to hear it today. But it's a great story, and I want to revisit this story from the aspect of coming and fighting through battles through praise and worship. So in Joshua 5.13, let's read there, and we're going to look at a, a few verses. So I'm going to read. So now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, He said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we're seeing that in the midst, getting prepared for a battle, you got to remember that this is holy ground. And this is a place of, uh, holy, holy means set aside for a specific purpose. So it's a place where we come that's specifically set aside for something. So Joshua did that, and it goes to Joshua, the next verse in 6, but it's really a continuation. So he said, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out or came in, and the Lord said to Joshua. So really, the reason his shoes were off, because... That was the Lord. That was the pre-incarnate Christ. <laughs> You're talking to him. That's why he had to take it. It wasn't just an angel, else he wouldn't have had to do all that, you know, reverent. So it was Jesus. He's the commander. Guys, isn't it great to know that Jesus is our commander? That he commands the arm, angel armies of heaven, and he is waiting to help you fight your battles? If you'll do it his way, he has promised to you that he will be with you, and all heaven will be with you. That's exciting. So he continues to say, The Lord said to him, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands and with its king and its fighting men. Guys, I want you to think of a a battle you're in right now. I want you to think of the things in your heart that are walled up. I want you to think, think, think of places where the enemy has built a fortress around in your heart that is so painful when you think of it, you can't even bear to think of it. Because I'm telling you, God's promised you already before you even fight is I've given you the city. I've given it to you. Not only do I give you the city, but all their leadership, everything, from the top to the bottom, completely done. And I mean, that is a great promise. And that's to you. When you read the Old Testament and you see stories like this, you got to apply that to your life today because it is for you today. It's not just some ancient story that we read and go, oh, that's cute. I wish I, I, wish I would have seen that on a video or been there. No, it's real for you today. You can take that in your heart. So he said, see, I have delivered Jericho in your hands along with its kings and fighting men. In verse 3, he says this, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. 
have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Okay? So a couple things I want you to underline in your Bible. The first one's in verse 4, priest. So if you have a Bible, underline that or highlight that in your phone, priest. Then the next one's a few words later is the ark. Underline the ark. And then underline trumpets. And then underline shout and straight in. Because I want to talk about those words. And some of them are pretty simple, so we'll go through this quickly. The fact that he had the priest leading the battle is interesting. Because... I happen to be in a room with a bunch of priests right now. Do you believe that? Oh, that didn't sound very convincing. Yes! Yeah, thank you. Do you guys know that you are priests? First Peter 2.9 says this. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Guys, this is talking to you. You and me. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's you. And we're going to finish that verse in a little bit. But I want you to know that the fact that the battle to take Jericho was led by the priest tells us today that we are the kingdom of priests and we are the ones to go in the battle. And the way we do that is going to be through our worship. It's going to have that foundation and that foresight to look and lay down a foundation of praise before we go into battle. And remember, uh, the next word was ark. So the priests were carrying trumpets in front of the ark. So it's with you in Christ going towards your battle, preparing to fight in front of the ark, which represented what? His presence. Where he dwelt, it was his presence that they were in. Guys, that's what we're talking about Sunday mornings. When we fight, we need to be fighting out of our priestly stature with God, right? Our standing with him as priests in the presence of God. And sometimes we think that, oh, I, well, God's always, he lives in me, so he's always with me. That is true. But there is a time when we, when, we, when we seek the Lord that his presence rises. It goes from just being here to being manifest here. It goes from just knowing the facts to actually him doing something in the physical. So on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times, the priest blowing the trumpet. So we have musical instruments. We have the power of the instruments that God tells us to worship with. So we have music going, right? We hear the song of Lemblast. The whole army gives a loud shout. And the shout, listen to this, the shout, the prime root for this word for shout is to split the ear. And it's a Hebrew word called ruah. And this, this word, they would shout, it was a battle cry, and it was so loud that it, it literally, the word meant to split the ear because it, it was just so loud. And so the armies would shout. You ever seen a war movie? They all, you know, ah, they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. And that was a big deal in those days as far as to put fear in the enemy. And Jericho guys, they were so afraid they had heard what God had did in the desert, and then they were marching around, and they were shouting. Can you imagine the fear that they had that your enemy 
will have as you speak out praise to God? Do you understand the power of when you speak out praise? And when, see, shouting's a unique uh, uh, type of praise. Because shouting, in some contexts, is, is negative to us. We don't want to yell at our spouses, right? Um, that's something I never did. I, my parents never yelled at me. Well, I'm sure a few times maybe. But yelling wasn't a natural part of our home, so I didn't do that. So yelling, has, there's never been a negative connotation um, except when I lost my temper playing tennis as a ninth grader and would cuss and make a fool of myself, and, and, had, and God had to correct me there. So, but shouting <laughs> to God is something that comes from way inside. Shouting is a picture of everything you got. Let everything that's within me praise the Lord. God gave me revelation of that scripture because when I was a youth pastor and the, the total grunge music came, and they would scream, you know, and I think, oh my gosh, that is stupid music, can't stand it. And, you know, and this was a Christian band, and they were saying good Christian words, but it was, you know, you couldn't understand it, and they were screaming. And I, and I was mocking it, and I was like, that's, you know, I was being Pharisee, you know, yeah, that's just. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but you know what? That guy's praising me with every single thing he's got in his body. And I like it. What? You like this kind of music, God? <laughs> you know what he likes? 100%. Complete surrender. He likes everything you have. He likes it when his people don't hold anything back. And that's really the heart of the shout. It's being so convinced, so excited, so anticipatory that you are just, you, there's nothing else you can do and you give it all you got. So this was a loud shout. And then everyone went straight in. You know, there's commentators vary on that, but you've heard that the walls fell and they marched straight in. And the Bible's in the language is pretty kind of clear that they didn't have to climb over this rock, so they just kind of walked in. Some believe that the earth opened up and kind of just made it, made it level, or the way God made it fall was so great that it was just, they, they marched straight in. They didn't have to go through one gate or, or anything. And to me, as, as a setup for worshiping God, it tells me that as we work together, as we worship together, as we set that, that floor for him, that we together will walk in straight in, that the battle will be different. Sometimes, have you ever tried to overcome something and it's difficult? It's like you try, you have a little victory, you fail, you try, and it's like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get through this? I believe that as we set up our hearts in a worshipful state and as we come together through body ministry, these battles will be a lot different than trying to fight on our own, that we'll be able to walk straight in and through and conquer things because we're doing it God's way in a, in, in, with a foundation of praise and a togetherness of unity, then together we'll walk straight in and defeat our enemies. Because you know what they did do? They killed everything. I mean, they obliterated everything from the king to the dog. And to me, that's a picture of what God wants to do to your enemy, right, today. You guys have any, yeah, completely obliterated. All right, so we see that in that story of Joshua about how praise gives us a foundation for spiritual fighting. So as we're coming out of this armor, I want you to keep thinking of fighting spiritually, taking back what was yours. Remember, the children of Israel were promised this land, but they had to go in and take it, right? 
they still had to go in and swing their sword, which we still have to exercise our faith and speak out the word of God and believe it, right? That's still there, right? They had to go in and, and they had to do the killing. They had to go in, and today we say we still have to go in and do the speaking. We just don't go, God, let's just worship and everything's perfect. No, we still have to exercise our faith and speak forth. So we looked at second, or first Peter one, or second Peter two nine, and we said, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession." But I want you to look what's right after that, because you know we are a priest, right? We are a priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. But the reason we are is after the comma. Look at the, look at that verse. That you may declare the praises. You are a royal priest. You're a set-aside special group so that you can show forth the praise of God who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You know the interesting thing about that word chosen? You are chosen people. I want you to look at this word. is pretty interesting. It talks about, uh, it comes from two words, but it talks about the literal meaning, talks about a chosen person, but out of a personal preference or intention. And I want you to think, God, his personal preference was you. Everyone in this room, everyone he'll choose, he personally preferred you. He and his intention was you from the beginning. He loved you before you could even know about him. He chose you when you were in your deepest sin. He intentionally looked at you and said, I'm choosing you. Just know that in your heart, that we are chosen, but we are chosen Not to just glory in that, but we're chosen to show forth the praise of God with our lifestyle, with how we live in front of our neighbors, and also how we proclaim the word of God out of our mouths, how we sing praise, how we declare his goodness, how we prophesy God's word, how we speak out the great things of God. That is what we're for. We are to do that. We are are to declare his praise. That's why he's chosen us and taken us out. It's a powerful transition, guys, into uh, making God known throughout the world. So praise, we're also doing this together. I want to remind us that in Hebrews 10.24, it says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meeting together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another and all the day more as we see the day approaching. Guys, as we shift the culture here, as we begin to focus on what should be happening during this praise and worship time, we have to remember that meeting together is essential. And it's, it's been in the church lately that, do you know church attendance has gone down to where the average attender goes maybe one to two weeks a month? So not even 50% church attendance. And, and that's alarming to me because the Bible tells us that We should be meeting together, not just in a building, but we should be meeting together as groups of Christians more frequently as the day approaches that Christ returns. And it's been 2,000 years, guys. The day is getting closer, and we should be meeting together, whether it's in a house where we sing and worship and praise and pray and do all that, or whether we're meeting here on Sundays. We should be meeting together more frequently because it's about being together, guys. Worship, this only works with us together. Let's take another look at a uh, part of uh, a warfare that we find in the Psalms. Now, David, you know, he was a warrior, right? And he could probably worship a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good guy to look at. So let's look in the Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalms 149, 
Because I want you to see the correlation between praise and spiritual warfare and how that correlates. Because we have some pretty good promises here. But I'm going to read Psalms 149. It only has uh, nine verses. And I'm going to read that to you. So listen and read along if you can. So praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Okay? Wow. Perfect verse, right? We're to sing that together as we assemble. Verse 2, O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your king. Praise the name with dancing, accompanied by tambourines and the harp. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. The faithful rejoice that he, and he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Verse 6, this is where it gets warfare Let the praises of God be in their mouth, comma, and a sharp sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and the punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains to execute the judgment written against them, this is the glorious privilege of all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. So I hope you see that. But as in the context of David, yeah, he was talking about the nations around him, but that whole part in 7 and 8 about nations and putting the people and the kings and all that, the Bible says in Ephesians that we fight not against flesh and blood, against other, against other countries. We fight against principalities and powers. And that's what the Bible's talking about here, that we, by the praises of God in our mouth and the sharp sword in our hands, which is a picture of them back then battling, but today our sword is our spoken word in faith, right? And that is to execute vengeance on the enemy. Principalities and powers that are lying to you, deceiving you, trying to keep you from the promises of God, keeping you in bondage, keeping you under their thumb, keeping you the the tail and not the head, right? right? So that's who we're fighting, guys. God wants us to realize that it's in praise and worship. The times we come together, whether it's in our car or whatever, but we're talking about corporate praise, like the verse starts out, that assembling together is when this kind of stuff can happen. When we come together singing praise, making song, new songs in our heart and, and playing the tambourine and doing all this great stuff to worship God, that's when good things can happen and we can get free. Let the praise of God be in their mouth and a sharp two-edged sword in their hand. Do you understand that this is a privilege, right? So it, it, when, when I saw that last verse, like, man, this is the glorious privilege of his faithful one, of the faithful ones, you and me. We get this privilege to actually take praise and worship, and during that time, execute judgment on the enemies that are fighting against us. That includes everything, guys. Everything the Word declares that you are sick, you can fight that. I've, I've had so many testimonies of people getting healed in worship services. I've had people getting set free from drug addiction and alcohol in worship services. It's when you get close to God, man, God's the miracle maker. It's no one else. It's Him. So in worship and praise, when we get to that place where he's flowing in there and, and his presence is, is thick, he begins to do things because people's hearts are right. Remember we talked about early when I came about the fragrance, the smell that we give off in our worship? 
See, what happens is when we get together and we're all getting our hearts right, we're repenting, we're getting right before God, we're, we're seeking his throne together, the room fills with fragrance in the spirit. And that fragrance attracts God. And God comes as a response to our worship. He comes because we're giving our hearts to him and we're repenting and, and turning to him. And he comes, and that's when he does marvelous, mighty works. And I'm telling you, church, it is our privilege to do that. Praise and warfare go hand in hand. You guys, worship is really all about God. And as we shift our thinking over the next few weeks, worship has always been about about getting close to God, about knowing him, about being with him. We remember in Genesis when the, the Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day, and then the curse came, and then they were banished from the garden. They put angels to guard the entrance, and they couldn't come there anymore. But God, that wasn't a surprise to God, and he provided a way back. And through Christ, guys, we have the same place that Adam and Eve have as intimacy with God. And see, that's God's been God's heart the whole time. From creation, we were made to, to give him pleasure. We were made to be with him. We were made to talk with him and have relationship with God. That's why he made us, church. God's intentions were always to walk with you. He chose you back then. He chose you. He intended you. He loves you, and he's always wanted to walk with you. And it's through worship times that we get to intimately walk with him. And as a corporate, it even gets better when we're doing that together. I want to look at John chapter 4. And I want to look at the word worship. Let's just dig into what the word worship means so we can get a true picture of what it says. And what it is. So in John 4 21, you remember the story about the woman had several husbands, and Jesus said, Oh, the one you're with now is not your husband, and oh my gosh, she's a prophet. Well, I want to look at what their part of their conversation about worship, because they discussed worship. They actually said worship five or six times, I think. And so they were talking about worship, and I want to pick that up where the where the uh, the woman uh, Jesus said, Woman, in verse 21, believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is seeking worshipers, true worshipers. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's look at the word for worship, though. Let's dig into that, because, you know, the first thing I want to point out is that worship is a verb, by the way. It is an action. It's an action word. And the word is proskuneo, and this means to worship, to go down on your knees, to fall prostrate. And the word's broken up. In two main words, that means, one means to kiss, the other one means towards. So you have these two root words that means, one means to kiss, and one means to towards. In other literature, I think it was Egyptian literature, they had pictures of of this word, same word used, but it was when they would kiss their hand and throw kisses to their God they were worshiping. I don't know if that's where it came from, but that's what they said, the pictures of this, and that was the picture of the word that you would be throwing kisses to a certain deity. I thought that was interesting. And 
The, the two words means probably the, to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior, to fall down prostrate or oneself, to adore on one's knees. Now, I want you to get it. This is a, this is a big shift for all of us together, that a lot of times when we think of worship, we think of the kingly worship and the fearful worship that maybe we grew up in a certain church or we watched in media that we think of uh, worship as, oh my gosh, we bow and we're so afraid because in, in those days with a king, if you didn't properly do that, you could get killed right there. You know, it's a serious deal. I mean, check out even the, uh, Moses in the tabernacle. You, you reach out to save the ark and he died. Like, so there's serious stuff. So a lot of times when we think of worship, we think of this, oh my gosh, this scaredness or this uh, a, a bad fear, not, a, not the good fear of God, but a bad fear. But I want you to understand that the word and the root of it means to adore. So it's not coming from a heart of, oh my God, please don't kill me. Like, oh, I don't want to, I'm so fearful of a mistake or, oh my gosh, this guy's been mean or whatever. No, it's about adoring someone. And even look at this, this part of the word, this definition, definition. It's described and it suggests the willingness to make all necessary physical gestures of that worship. And it's interesting because in our word for worship, we have all, there's many gestures of people bowing down and prostrating and doing all these things. But in the word itself, it talks about worshiping is the the essence of the person's heart is a willingness to do whatever it takes to adore and get in the presence of this person, whatever it takes. Whatever gesture, and I thought that was interesting because the Psalms and the Bible give us so many gestures of worship, which we're going to cover a, a lot of them in this series. We're going to cover this, we're going to cover this, two different, two different Hebrew words. We're going to cover shouting, we're going to cover the word for singing, we're going to cover the word for bowing, we're going to cover a lot, we're going to talk about each of those, but all the, the, the word worship intends for the person to have a heart to go, I want to do anything and everything I can to get in the presence of this person. It's a worship. It's an adoring of somebody. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance talks about the roots of the word, and this even gets more interesting because I, I do, uh, our, we just had to put our dog down a, a month ago, but me and Jen, we really love our dog. Is there any people that love dogs? I know not everyone's. Okay, there's a few dog lovers. Okay, so those of you that aren't dog lovers, I know it's hard, so just bear with me. But listen to the word. The word comes from two words, pros and coon. And I don't know if this is where coon, the Greek word, came from hound dog, but that word in the Greek means dog. But it means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. That's in the root word for worship. Have you ever had a dog? I looked up on YouTube last night, and I, I was going to show a video of these people getting there, but it was gross. There's this one guy, it was gross. There's this one guy called Slow Motion Mike, I think. Have you heard of him? Yeah, a Slow Mo Mike. And he has this bulldog, and it's slow motion licking his face. So the tongue, the dog's tongue, see, it's going all in the lip and stuff. It was just so nasty. I was like, I don't know if I can show this in church. This is grossing me out. <laughs> so I was like, but, but the principle, though, is that the, my dog would come up even after I just got mad at it and threw it in the room because it got in the trash again. And it'd come right out and lick my hand and love on me and want to. And Jen would always pull Abby on the couch, and Abby would always flip her head back and try and lick Jen right here. And, and guys, that's the picture of worship. That's what God is intending for us to sit in his lap 
and love him. The, guys, when a dog licks you, that's, their, that's the only way. They can't say, hey, I love you. They, they, that's, their, that's their way of, of showing that love. And so the word means to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand. I just love that. So we have in this word uh, adoration, a desire to be close, to kiss, and a dog intimately wanting to be with the master. So our, our, our heartbeat for worship should not be, there should be no fearful of judgment. There should be a, a, a love and a, a quickness to want to get in it. When we come to church, and I'm, I'm talking corporately, there's a lot of other ways we can illustrate this in life, worshiping at home and wherever. But when we come to church, let's think that. Let's get in here quickly. Let's be prepared. Hey, let's pray on the way to church. Hey, let's get up early, and as I'm drinking my coffee, let me get into the presence of God and just start asking God, God, I just want worship to be special today. I want other people to see you. I want other people to experience the closeness that I have with you, and I want, I want even more myself. And start asking and believing and coming expecting for that. So worship is a response, this is in your notes, a response and a reaction to God's goodness and love towards us. Worship is a response and a reaction, because I think for me sometimes it takes me off guard how much he loves me, and I just sometimes, he does stuff and I just react with, God, you're so good, I just want to be with you. So worship is a response and a reaction to God's goodness and love towards us. And in this response... There is a power like no other. In this thing called worship, there is a power that defeats all other things. And I want to talk quickly about Jesus. And I want to talk about a time where he misquoted the Old Testament. Why did he do that? Jesus misquotes the Old Testament. Yeah, right? <laughs> Amen. He can, he can do He can say whatever he wants. Amen. And in that, Jesus brings, sheds a little light on worship to us. So let's, let's look at that. So in Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple courts, verse 12, Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there and overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches and those selling doves. And it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. And, you know, you've heard that before, and you always think, man, he went in there and just made a wreck, and then, ah, oh, yeah, I'm Jesus, and get out of here. But you know what happened right after that? In the temple, when he just did all that? It says, the blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So here he goes in the temple, and this is kind of a side note, kind of set us up for what he's saying. He, he tears it up, does something totally radical, totally against all protocol, and has a zeal for the Lord, consumes him, and he t- turns all these tables and makes a huge mess, and this will be a house of prayer. And a lot of us think of, oh, that means we got to go and be quiet before the Lord and, and pray only. No, it's funny because he relates making it a house of prayer and the next thing he does is heal people. I want, you to, I want you to think about that. It is prayer. It is prayer. But there's more to prayer than just being quiet and not saying anything and being still. There's more to that. They came and meet him. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. 
But listen to this. When the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were ticked. Oh, it says indignant. They were mad. They were really mad. And then they say, these Pharisees say, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Haven't you ever read? Quote Psalms 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praises. So let's look at that. So Psalms 8, 2 says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold. That's in the NIV. So I want you to look in the, uh, the King James. That's a, a tough translation to read, but sometimes, most of the time, gives us a more accurate words of what's going on. So in Matthew 21, 16, Jesus quotes and says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast perfected praise. So out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast perfected praise. But Psalms 2 actually says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast ordained strength. So you have the verb and the noun at the end there. But I want you to look, and if you look at Matthew 21, and out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou has perfected. That word perfected is a Greek word for to mend. It's the same Greek word used when Jesus was gathering his disciples, and a couple of them were mending the nets, Matthew 4, 21. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat of Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Same Greek word for mending there that was in this word where they said perfected. So you could read this scripture. Jesus could, did say, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have mended or fixed or repaired praise. And then if you look in Psalms 8-2 in the King James, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou has ordained strength. That Greek word for ordain there is more, tra- more frequently translated as a foundation or to lay the foundation. Remember when they laid the foundation of the new temple? Same Greek word, to lay a foundation. And so Psalms 8 would read, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast laid a foundation of strength. And if you look closely at the play Jesus is doing here, out of these mouths of babes, you have mended praise, and he's quoting, out of the mouths of babes and suckling infants, you have uh, laid a foundation for strength. Now, who's he talking about on these babes, these kids? Is it children? Well, the, the clue gives you right back in the context of the scripture. What did he just do? He healed, and people were going, oh, and people were crying out, shouting out, God, save us now. That's what Hosanna, Hosanna save us now, Lord, the son of David. You know, they were saying, this is the promised Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. They're just glorifying God. They're going, I, can't, I was blind, now I can see. Jose. I mean, they were going nuts, worshiping and praising God. And Jesus said, have you ever heard what the young in the Lord 
the freshly saved, the people that God just did a huge miracle for? Haven't you ever said what comes out of their mouth? And in that, I am mending praise. Or I am mending praise and I'm laying a foundation for strength. So really, it is in praise that a foundation of strength is laid. So Jesus is saying, out of these young believers, they were so excited. You know, remember when you first got saved? Come, on, I know it's sad sometimes to think back and how excited you were and, and those times in your life where you feel energized and you're all... Jesus is talking about there is a strength, guys. When you worship me out of that childlike faith, that newness and freshness of realizing what I've done for you. And that's what happens, guys, when we worship. What are we singing? We're singing all about the great things that God's done for us, how he's taken us out of darkness and into light, how he's freed us from slavery and made us king's kids and given us everything that under the heavens is ours. Everything you need for life and godliness is yours through Jesus Christ. And so foundation, the foundation of praise is our strength. It's in the worship that we realize who he is and we get our eyes off of the big mountain in front of us and we realize, oh, there's Jesus. Mountain, Jesus, mountain. But if you're staring at the mountain, it looks big, but worship gets our eyes on the creator. And so now we can look at our problems and go, oh, that mountain, be cast into the sea right now. That's what praise does. That's what getting in his presence changes our perception, our perspectives, helps us look at things differently than we did before. So Jesus was saying, guys, it's in this type of praise that a foundation of strength is laid in your life and gives you power. Why praise, though? You know, I have a few thoughts of what praise, this type of praise will do, what we just talked about. What type, what will those do? Number one, praise expresses joy. And that's in your notes if you want to write that down. Praise expresses joy. Psalms 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Man, that's, <laughs> I want to be there. That's in his presence. Praise expresses joy about something. Number two, praise expresses the value we place on something. So think about that. As we're praising together God, we're telling other people how excited we are about God. C.S. Lewis said, enthusiasm is contagious. And when God sees the joy that you express, other people are going to look at you and go, oh, it, it's, it's contagious. I've been in churches, and I'm sure people here, I want our church to be a contagious church. I want our church to be so excited about God that people walk in and go, they can't help but be excited about God. I don't want them to walk in and it be so quiet you can hear a pin drop. Now, I'm not talking about volume only. I'm talking about hearts expressing gratitude and thanksgiving to God and giving it all we've got. Because people see that and it transforms them. It expresses joy. Praise also expresses the value we place on something. When we praise him, we're showing the value. Do you value God? Do you value what he did? Then the natural response should be stuff coming out of our mouth, giving glory to God. Your body should be a reaction to the goodness of God. That's why most people, when they had a vision and saw God, they fell flat on their face, couldn't even talk or think or get up. Because the natural reaction to be in the presence of God is like, oh my, awesome, there's adoration. It's like, there he, oh my gosh, he's a creator. You know, there's a, there's a huge thing that takes place in his presence. But it shows us the value we put on something. 
Number three, praise communicates love. Thus, relationships are strengthened. Try that in your marriage. Try that with a friend. Encourage them. Say positive words to them. Tell them how great they are. And see that relationship get stronger. Do that with your king, and it will do the same. Tell God how great he is, and you'll see that relationship get strengthened. Because you're getting in right perspective. Most of the time, our problem is that we have the wrong perception or perspective of God. And praise tilts that around so we can see God for who he really is, get in the right perception, and go, ah, this all makes sense now. I get it. And number four, praise destroys self-centeredness. And this is where it's going to get tough. This is where it gets tough. Every week, praise destroys self-centeredness. Well, how does praise do that? How does praise destroy self-centeredness? Well, in the Bible, God talks about the refining process. And praise and worship time corporately is a big part of the refining process of God. And what does refining include? Lots of heat. Lots of heat. And I want to talk about that. And Proverbs 27.1 says this. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. And if you look into this word, you, there's a lot of things about, is it uh, the man is tested by the praise he receives or the praise he gives? But I want you to look at this as in context of worship, because the man is tested by what he's, what he's giving out of his mouth. And just like the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, which, what, purifies the metal, so it is, as we praise, as we enter into God's presence, we too get purified and junk starts coming up. Because when you get in front of God and you get in his presence, the heat of his presence, which is a wonderful heat, but it doesn't allow any other junk to stay in there. Hey, Bo, show the first one. Here's a picture of a clean window shield, a windshield in a car. So, yeah, you can see clearly... Have you ever, and your car's, who likes when their car's clean, right? Okay. And some people say, yeah, but, you know, it's hard to, it's messy, but I like it clean. But you know what's funny is that I've thought my car was clean at a certain point until I turned east and went right in the sun and then saw this. Yeah, right? So maybe not that bad, but that's a... But I'm telling you, this picture, when you get the sun involved, all the little marks start showing up, all the messes up, all the faults, all the junk that God wants us to clean out so we can be a useful vessel for him. That's the part of worship that we want to create here at the rivers and in our lives at home too, but we're talking corporately, to where God raises up the dross. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Remove the dross from the silver, and the silversmith can produce a vessel. When we praise, when we get in the presence of God, God will raise up the dross. What's the dross? All the dirt and stuff that's not pure gold. And with enough heat, all that dirt raises to the top. And then the silversmith or the goldsmith will come in, and they'll have a thing, and they'll scoop all the dross off, all the dirt in, and they'll be purifying the gold. The presence of God is a fire and helps us see what we can't see. 
2 Timothy 2.20 says this, Now in a large house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honor and some are for dishonor. If anyone purges himself of these, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, suitable for the master's use, prepared for every good work. Church, it's up to you and me. We have to do that purging. We have to get ourselves in the position of praise into God's presence so that he can raise the heat and get all that stuff so we can see it. He can shine the light on our window of our hearts and our soul. So his bright light, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being a light, about Jesus as the light of the world, but the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, and will shine on us and help us see those things that are hindering and holding us back from being a vessel of honor. Now, a vessel is something that holds something, right? So if you want to be, if, to get stuff cleared out so that God can get more in you, because a vessel is not used to just contain and hold and never give out. A vessel is designed to fill up and then get pour out. Fill up and pour out. Fill up and pour out. And as we do that in worship, when we get ourselves, it's a place to get ourselves, okay, let's, let's empty out, God. Let's get rid of all the stuff that's in the way. Now fill me up so I can pour out. Praise raises the dross in our lives, the junk. Yeah, I'll do one more. So Isaiah 6, and we'll be done, promise. Are you guys having a good time? Is this help, helping? Good worship? I love worship. This is going to be such fun. I'm so excited. Isaiah 6, 1. This was in the year King Uzziah died. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. The two wings covered their face, the two covered their feet, and with two they, co- they were flying, and they were calling to one another, actually crying in a loud voice, almost like that word shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And they were crying out to one another. In fact, they were crying out so loud at verse 4, it says, at the sound of their voice, the doorpost and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is in heaven. God built this temple. I would assume he's a good builder and did it by the heavenly code, and so it was probably pretty strong, right? But yet, the worship was so loud and the presence of God was so awesome that the thresholds shook and the doorpost shook. And Isaiah said in verse 5, Woe to me. That's, oh, oh my. I cried. I am ruined, Isaiah said, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, then the good news comes. Then a seraphim flew to him with a live coal, the heat, in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, the presence of God, which he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. It was in the altar of God's presence that the heat of God came in and cleansed him can cleanse you, and it's God, his presence, that we can come and go, oh God, I, am a, I messed up this week, but I'm thankful that if I confess my sins, 
that you are just and faithful and righteous and to make me clean. God has that promise for us, guys, and this is all in this process of dross coming to the top, this process of refining, refining us. In praise, God brings the dross to the top. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. This type of worship, this type of worship, guys, will disarm the enemy in your life. It removes his ammo. Removing dross <laughs> removes a lot of the enemy's ammo that he used to fling <laughs> those darts at you. If we would take that dross and go, okay, I'm getting rid of that. I repent, God. I turn away. I, I renounce that and, and make that a practice in our life. The enemy wouldn't have so much stuff to throw. He'll still fight us. There'll still be stuff, but I'm telling you, this greatly reduces his ability. You know what's interesting about a goldsmith? Is that when they take that dross off and they keep doing that and they keep heating up the fire and getting it hotter and all that stuff's coming up, the, the, the goldsmith knows when the gold's ready because the dross keeps coming up, but the, the goldsmith knows that once he can see his reflection... In the gold, he knows it's ready. And God looks at your heart, and he's removing that dross. And when he sees his reflection in you, he knows, yeah, you're getting there. You're, you're getting there. It, it's, a, it's a sanctification. It's a life process of transforming into the likeness of God. It's, it's the process of getting to be just like Jesus. It's not going to happen in a day. It's a process that we go through, but God is preparing us, guys. And making us ready for an eternal life that you are going to be blown away by what God has in store for those that love him. But it's through praise and worship and an intensity of coming together in the unity of the church as we worship God to raise up the fire. Do you know some friends that could use a nice, friendly fire in their life? God wants, and that's a love thing. That's not a, that, not a show them up thing. That's a love thing. Come, get in this worship experience at the rivers because God shows up. And people are crying out their hearts. And if you'll allow it, God will do the same for your heart. And there's going to be people, I, I just prophesy right now, I see people coming in here and during the worship. And it's actually already happened, where people start to weep. Not because, just because of the presence of God, it's going to be just stirring up stuff in their life. And they'll be like, oh my God, I, I need more of you. I need to get right with you, God. That's going to happen even all the more. But you know what? That's going to be specifically related to how each one of us come each week. It's up to you and me. We have to come ready to give it our all. Because in the same degree we give it our all, you're giving someone else the chance to get it all too. That's reciprocal in that way. So let's come ready. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for um, who you are. We, we do greatly thank you for your presence, oh God. Lord, we thank you for your presence and showing us who you are and what you want to do with us, God. We thank you that worship is really about knowing the Father. Father, we are privileged and honored to get to know you, to actually see and talk to and work with the creator of the universe. What a grand privilege, God. So we pray, God, as a church and as individuals, God, you would, over the next several weeks, transpose us, God, into the church you want us to be. As we come together and corporately worship you, as we pour out our hearts 
as we surrender our hearts, as we give up all the things for you that we completely surrender to you, God, that you would show off and your glory would fill this place. And with every head bowed and eye closed right now, I'm just going to ask you, if you don't know Christ and you've never surrendered to him, you've never given him your life, and you want to do that today, I want to pray with you. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could have an eternal home with heaven. You could have an eternal life, starting not when you die, but starting actually right now. The moment you confess and believe, you get to start this amazing new life with Jesus. And if you've never made him the Lord of your life and you want to do that today, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand up real quick. Anyone in the room, just always want to give that opportunity. Every week, we're going to give that opportunity to know Jesus in a personal way. Anybody at all. Father, we love you. Take the words that were spoken today by your spirit, O God, and ingrain them in our hearts and minds. Help us to take them as seed. Let them grow on fertile ground in our hearts, God, so that we can be transformed into your very likeness. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, church, to close today, we're going to sing a song and worship. And I want you to think about what was talked about today, but let's just spend a few minutes. We, We still have a few minutes left. Let's give God our hearts and let's just go to him right now and with that gratefulness to him and let's just sing out to him and take some time to do that. And then after the song is, you're released to go and we we love you guys and uh, we just uh, pray you guys have a good week. Amen.